Made for More is a series to help you discover Christ and unfold the way he desires us to live our lives. This young adult series has the next generation of Catholic in mind, discussing the importance of identity, knowing the Lord's will in our life, and living with heaven in mind. This series features local and national speakers, including Nathaniel Beniversi of Exodus 90, Father Patrick Briscoe from the God's Planning Podcast, and Tulsa's very own Father Vince Fernandez, and so many more to come. So if you could share, like, subscribe, and most importantly, go out and make disciples. From us here at the Diocese of Tulsa Communications Office, we thank you. I want every discernment house in the entire United States to be shut down. I want this generation to be the generation of young people who causes every discernment house in the United States to be shut down. And along with the shutdown of all these discernment houses, I want every seminary, every convent, every cloister to be overflowing. Sound like a paradox? Does it sound like something that's, you know, set against each other? Tonight we're going to talk about that and why it's not so much set against each other and why you can be the generation to shut down every discernment house in the country. As mentioned, my name is Nathaniel Benversi, and my wife, Sherry, is back there with our beautiful second child, Annie, Anna Sophia. And then we have Lucia. Where are you at, Lucia? <laughs> and we have a third on the way as well. If you came in from the back parking lot, you saw our large fifth-wheel RV, our new home that we get to travel around in, and we're really excited to do that. We did it for about five months. We were home for 10 days out of those five months, and then uh, decided, well, this is working, so we'll just sell our house. Why not? So we did that. It's good to see you guys again, by the way. I saw you from behind. It's like, man, that hair, it's so good still. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. So it's been, it's been a gift to be able to come back and to travel around the country, but to come back here as well. So thanks so much for having me. If you don't mind, I'll share some stories from the road. Anybody interested in that? I remember you as well. What's your name? Meredith. Meredith. Welcome. Uh, th thank you for having me back, Meredith. I appreciate it. I actually probably blame these two for having me back because we had such good conversation afterwards at the pub. So, hey, if you are not sick of hearing me after this, maybe we'll go to a pub again and enjoy some more company. So, but here's some stories. Here's some stories from the road, some lessons that we learned as a family, some very important things. One thing, we were in Ireland. Anybody ever been to Ireland before? Okay. In the southwest of Ireland, the roads are extremely, extremely narrow. And on one side of the road is this entire wall of rocks. No shoulder. No, shoulder isn't necessary. Just an entire wall of rocks that have been there probably since the dinosaurs placed them there. Okay? <laughs> and on the other side, again, no shoulder. But don't worry, there's plenty of space because it's an enormous cliff down to the ocean. <laughs> What I learned in Ireland as I was driving a stick on the other side with the other hand with signs that I couldn't read and symbols I didn't understand was that the speed limit is actually the speed limit. Not because they have police officers, no, because if you go over the speed limit, you'll die. <laughs> so that was a good lesson. I appreciated that lesson. It was good to learn. I learned another one in Slovakia. Okay, I went to Slovakia, got to learn about their culture, learn about their economy, learn about their history. Very different place there in Central Europe. But the greatest lesson I learned is that Slovakia is a country. <laughs> so that was good. I mean, I'm really happy to have learned that. I could pass it on to my homeschool, RV school daughter here. It would be great. Yes, so I'm glad you guys are here. You get to see an average guy like me give a talk, which is great. And, and you know I'm average looking. I look like anybody else in Amish country. <laughs> so we should have a good night tonight. Here's what we're going to talk about, all right? Of course, we're talking about discerning the will of God, right? We're going to talk about first this understanding of like maybe some contrary ways or the wrong ways of living the Christian life and how those inhibit our discernment. We're going to talk then about how we can maybe have the antidote to those wrong ways of living the Christian life. And then we're going to talk about relationship. And that's where we're going to spend our most, the most of our time tonight, in understanding how relationship affects discernment. And then we'll conclude with some practicals of discerning. And we'll leave some time for some Q&A. 
How does that sound? Any objections? All right. If there's any objections, we'll just go to the pub early and call it good. <laughs> All right, so the first. Discerning the will of God and starting with this misunderstanding of how to live the Christian life. For most of us, we desire to live the Christian life, but we allow Satan or our own pride, and I, and I mean that gently, our own pride, to cause us to start living towards something other than what Christianity is in its fullness. We get really specific, really narrow-minded, focusing on one aspect of Christianity or maybe one vice that we want to overcome. And we so focus on this, we actually prevent ourselves from really living the Christian life in its fullness. For example, maybe we're a man or a woman struggling with pornography and masturbation. And all of a sudden, instead of becoming more Christian, we want to become anti-masturbationalists. We're just so focused on that one thing. Like, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to really just root out this, this vice of impurity, unchastity, what have you. But we don't do it from, how do I get to know Jesus? We, get, we do it from the perspective of, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to white-knuckle it. I'm going to focus in on this thing. Which isn't the right way to live the Christian life. It doesn't make us more Christian. And oftentimes, it's, it stems, as I was mentioning, gently from pride. And I say that because... Why do we want to be chased? Do we want to be chased in that case just so we can not have to go to confession all the time? So that we don't have this sin with us or whatever our vice might be? Or do we want to be chased because we actually want to have a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ and be conformed on him? Because if it was the latter, we wouldn't be so hyper-focused on the former. So this can apply to other things as well. It's not just looking at uh, a vice or a sin themselves. Man, my notes are so far away. There's no way I'm going to read these. <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to go off memory. Here we go. So we need to focus. Here's the antidote. We just finished the first portion. Well done. Very short. Finish the first portion. We hyper-focus on something. And this can even be non-vices, right? It can be even be like, oh, I'm charismatic. And so you really focus in on the charismatic aspect of your relationship with Christ, or should I say you really just focus on living out your charismatic gifts or something, but you're not actually focused on the fullness of the Christian life. So when we get narrow-minded, we actually lose track of the fullness of the body of Christ and the fullness of our relationship with him. Antidote. Or an antidote? Is that the right word? Not, not an anecdote. What's the... Uh, antidote. Antidote. Okay, am I saying it right? No. Well, if not, well, send me back from where I came from. I left my house in the parking lot, so it shouldn't be too far of a walk. <laughs> yes, the antidote here. This is relationship. It is living a life with Christ, in union with him, conforming ourselves onto him. So this comes in many different ways, though. Yes, certainly it comes from a prayer life. But if we want to have a more perfect relationship with Christ, then we don't need to, we can't just pray. But we have to actually conform our lives onto his. So we have to live how he lived. And if we're going to live how he lived, then we have to study who he is and how he lived. And our study should fuel our desire to know him personally. It's this beautiful circle. I remember Dr. Han sharing this with me. He's like, okay, you study Christ in a way that fuels your desire to be with him and to pray with him. But then you pray with him in a way that gives you such a longing to know him more. And as you know him more, you go out and you, you're long to know him more. You go out and study him more. Whether that be in the scripture, that be from the fathers of the church, or wherever. This is a beautiful cycle. When we're just fighting a vice, or when we're just focused on our charismatic gifts, we don't have this beautiful cycle that leads to deeper and deeper relationship that we need. But how does this deeper relationship actually serve as the antidote? to us living maybe a shallower or narrower Christian life. As we conform ourselves to him, as we start to live out a life that he would have lived, we are slowly opening up channels of grace. When we pray, that opens up one channel of grace. When we live a fraternal life like he lived with the apostles and we live it with other people in small group community 
or communities like this, or the communities that we make back in our parishes, we open up a new channel of grace, him working through those that we have authentic relationships with. When we start to live Luke 23, somebody fact check me. Luke 23, it is, don't worry. I should have brought my notes with me. Luke 23, which is, if you want to be my disciples, deny yourself, take up cross daily and follow me. When we start living that out, these acts of self-denial, we open up a new channel of grace. Channels that aren't opened from just a prayer life. Channels that aren't opened just from pursuing the overcoming of a vice. As we build our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we open up these avenues of grace, we conform ourselves onto him. We become like him. We start to know who he is. Well, when you know who somebody is, you know what they're thinking, you know how they're going to act, you know what they would suggest. What would Jesus do? Well, if you're not like him, if you don't know who he is, you've got no blasted idea what he would do. But if you conform your life onto his, all of a sudden, things become more clear. Because you know what he would have done in that situation. You know what he is doing in this situation, right now, in the stirring of your spirit, and the stirring of your mind. But only if you have conformed your life onto his, which takes time. So I want to talk about these three avenues that I've already mentioned here. Prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. If you've done Exodus 90, could you raise your hand for me? Just so I know. Nice. A few men here. It's going to be very familiar to you men because the Christian life was based on Exodus 90. Jesus took after us. It was great. <laughs> no, of course. Exodus 90 is simply based on the Christian life and the fullness of the Christian life. If we don't live one aspect of Christ's life, we're not really living the fullness of the Christian life. We're not living like Christ, not as fully as we could. So prayer, asceticism, and fraternity, these are three avenues that we need if we're going to discern the will of God. Let's talk about them. First, prayer. Prayer is an obvious one. It's easy to see how prayer exists in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and God incarnate coming down and living it out himself. It's also easy to understand, well, sure, if I want to know God's will, I probably should talk to him. And what do you call talking to God? Prayer. Okay, I get it, bearded fellow. i got to pray. Great. So that is true. That's the first thing. But prayer is hard, isn't it? Praying the rosary might not be so hard. You memorize the prayers, and then you just do it. Praying the liturgy of the hours is super confusing, but really not as hard as silent prayer, right? Because at least the words are there, and you can figure it out, or somebody can teach you. But silent prayer, who's going to teach you silent prayer? Where's the rule book for that? There's thousands of words written on it, and they all seem like somewhat similar and somewhat totally different. <laughs> it's difficult to learn silent prayer. You can't just follow a rubric, though sometimes rubrics can help. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes perseverance. It takes humility. Lots and lots of patience and certainly fortitude. And above all that, a desire. A desire to know and to hear Jesus' voice. If you want to know what starting to live a silent prayer life looks like or feels like, men, try to remember back when you were like 14 years old. You're going on your first date sitting in the back of the car with your girlfriend or the girl who is close to you as a friend, maybe you asked her on one date, possibly once, and your dad's driving, and it's 20 minutes to the nearest theater because I hear pretty much everything in this town is 15 to 20 minutes away. <laughs> well, there you go. Your 20 minutes of silent prayer daily that you are called to live as a man, that 20 minutes of silent dialogue prayer with our Lord is just like the back seat of that car, completely silent. <laughs> totally awkward. <laughs> And then when you get to the theater, it doesn't really get better. The movie starts playing, but your dad's still chomping on popcorn right behind you. Still awkward. Not super fruitful at first. But that's when you're 15. You grow. You get older. You mature. You learn how to use words. <laughs> and you start talking to the ladies. 
It is a great progression. <laughs> Eventually, when you're done talking about sports, you realize and learn how to listen. And then she gets to talk about her hair, talk about her, what else do girls talk about? Your nails. Your nails, OK. OK, stereotypical. Maybe they talk about surfing. I don't know. Is there a lot of good surfing around Tulsa? Tennis. Yeah, tennis. OK, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I should work on my prayer life. I clearly don't listen very well. Sorry, wife. <laughs> so you learn to listen. Our prayer life is the same, but it takes perseverance. It takes years. It takes a lot of time. Are we desirous for it? We see the fruitfulness in marriage of a man who's willing to pursue and be patient and have fortitude to learn how to communicate with a woman and vice versa, a woman with a man. The fruitfulness, certainly, is not just the beauty of that relationship, but life itself stemming from that. The participation in God's creative act. So too, our relationship with the perfect spouse, Jesus Christ, can bring about the same thing. Fecundity, fruitfulness, that cannot be there if there isn't unity. And that unity takes time. Ask any married man, you stop talking with your wife, probably ain't going to be having much sex. It's the way it is. We stop talking with God, probably ain't going to be very fruitful in our spiritual life. That's the way it is. And so it's necessary. As hard as it is, it's necessary. That's prayer. Let's move to asceticism, shall we? Asceticism, clearly defined, simply defined, acts of self-denial. This is a difficult one for most of us to hear and to think about. Because for us, these acts of self-denial, asceticism, penance, if you will, these are things that we do 40 days a year. Please don't ask me to do it 41. <laughs> this is a limited time offer here, right? And we're done. We check in, we check out, and then we can eat our chocolate again. But it's not that way in terms of how Christ describes it. In fact, it's supposed to be an everyday thing. Deny yourself and take up the cross daily if you want to be my disciples. Daily. Why daily? Well, because we sin just about every day. If anybody knows how to go a whole day without sinning, please come tell me. <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. My wife can testify. It's a difficult thing. And so we're living this side of heaven, even in the Easter season. We still struggle with sin. Gluttony is a huge temptation Easter Sunday, especially if our Lent was good, really good. And so, even in the Easter season, no, I'm not talking, tell, telling you not to rejoice, but to still listen to Christ's command. Listen to his command to take up your cross daily. But you might say, okay, well, what's our cross? What does asceticism have to do with our cross? Because our cross is our sins, right? Aren't wrong. Not correct. Our cross is not our sins. Our sins are far too heavy for us. It would crush us. We need to take our sins to the confessional and put them on the shoulders of the only man who can carry them, Jesus Christ himself. That's his cross. And we can be grateful that he takes up. Not ours. So what is ours? What would have the apostles seen or heard or pictured when Christ used those words in the ninth chapter of Luke? Put yourself in their shoes. I love The Chosen because it does a great job of showing what the apostles would have seen, how Jesus acted from that new perspective. So put yourself in their shoes. What was Jesus saying when he was saying, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me? He hadn't gone to Calvary yet. The apostles still thought that he was going to be on a white horse leading a surging army over Rome. They didn't think he was going to die on a cross. And when he said it or alluded to it, they're just like, what is this guy talking about? Peter even rebukes him for it. So what do they see? Well, they probably saw what he did every day. The sufferings that were put upon him by the people who pressed in close, that he endured and offered up. The choice to get up early to pray. The choice to go to the desert. The choice to go out and do work amidst the people, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. These little sufferings that he took up, sacrifices that he chose to make, 
every single day without fail. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to live this as well. And so we can if we choose to. And when we choose to, we conform ourselves more onto Christ. When we do not choose to, we choose to step away from a life like Christ. Every day we do not practice asceticism is a day that we chose to step away from a life like Christ. And man, that scripture of the man who's at the end of his life, he's at the gates of heaven, wants to get in, and Jesus says to him, I do not know you. Cried out, Lord, Lord, I do not know you. I don't want that to be me. And I hope God's mercy is greater because I fail plenty. But I don't want that day to come, the second coming of Christ, on a day where I chose not to practice asceticism, where I chose not to deny myself for the good of others, where I chose not to live a life like Christ. So, every morning, cold shower. Got to start it somewhere. Got to do asceticism somewhere so that that day never comes where I'm not like him, at least a little bit. I pray for you the same, that that avenue might be open, that you might choose an ascetic discipline for yourself that the Lord has in store for you, so you might open that up for him. All right, that's asceticism. There's plenty more. We can do an entire talk on asceticism, but who likes that anyway, right? (laughs) We'll stop there. Moving on, fraternity, or for you gals, sorority, if you will. Living a life in community, this isn't an optional thing either. This is a Christ-like thing also. He lived with sweaty, smelly fishermen and tax collectors for 12, 12 years, three years. <laughs> 12 probably was too much. <laughs> he did this. He lived this. He modeled it for us. And how do we know that we are also made for such unity? Well, it only takes about two chapters in the scripture to figure this out. But it's not good for man to be alone. And God isn't talking just about marriage when he talks about that. There's plenty of celibates out there. Are they not living Christ-like? Are they not living what the scriptures tell them? All these priests who are celibate? No. But they ought to live fraternity in another way. Because it is not good for man to be alone. Marriage just doesn't happen to be the only solution. We look at God. We're made after his image and likeness. Who is he? Well, he's Trinity. He's unity. He's three people in one. This is why we're made for unity, because we're made after his image and likeness. This is why it isn't optional. This is why isolation and the pandemic felt so awful. This is why ongoing isolation and sitting and playing video games for hours on end by ourselves leaves us still empty. We're made for unity. We're made for real, authentic relationship. If we want to be Christ-like, if we want to be able to know what Christ's will is for us and conform ourselves more and more onto him, then we must live fraternity or sorority, real union, men with other men, women with other women. If you don't have this type of community in your local parish, whichever parish you came from, you got an option. You could say, hey, back at TU, back at OK State, go Pokes. I had a great Newman Center. Everything was provided for me. The community was awesome. I lived fraternity, absolutely. I was in my focused Bible study. I was in discipleship. I was converting pagans. (laughs) Even a sooner. But now I'm at this parish, and there's like no young adult community here. Like, Father hasn't provided anything for me. There's nothing here, so I'm just, I'm just done. I'm not going to live community. I'm going to go to Mass, maybe. Well, I'm going to go to Mass for now. But I'm not going to live community, because there's nothing here. Well, what do you mean? What type of entitlement do we live by when we say that? Like, we need to be provided for at 21, 22, 23. How old are you? old man. (laughs) 23 years old? 
This is our responsibility. We're adults. We've been adults for a long time, whether the world wants to let us know that or not. We have the obligation to live the Christian life. If the Christian life includes community, sorority, fraternity, then it is our obligation to live that out. And if God knows it's our obligation, because he said it is our obligation, which he does know in that case, he's going to provide us the grace to do it if we're willing to cooperate with his grace, if we're willing to go out and build community in those local areas. All right, so we need to do that. We have that obligation in our communities. Live a prayer life, live asceticism, live fraternity, bring people together. Again, fraternity could be a whole other talk. We'll save it for the Q&A if you have any questions. This is the Christian life, all right? Let's get back on track with discernment. What does all this have to do with discernment? Certainly, it is opening up those avenues of graces. Certainly, it is allowing us to be more like Christ. So, let's talk about some practicals of discernment. What should a relationship, a dialogue with our Lord bring about in terms of fruit? Let's say we were discerning, you know, where we should work. We've got two beautiful options of where we should work in life. And we're trying to figure out which one we should take up. Should we work at this place, or should we leave Oklahoma altogether in their low-income tax? That's what the guy at the toll booth told me. Apparently, that was validation for having a toll booth. I'm not sure. <laughs> and should we go and work somewhere else? When we're in this crux of a position, what do you guys normally do? I want to open this question up. When you're in a crux of a position like this, what does your discernment usually look like? Think about it to yourself for a few minutes. Really actually reflect on this. I'll give you 60 seconds. All right, let's get some answers. We're in the crux of this situation, whatever your situation might be. Maybe it's the example I gave, maybe it's something else. What are some of the first things you guys turn to, your first techniques? Turn to the rosary. That's great. Turn to the rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet. Thanks for giving me some answers. I appreciate that. Any others? Yeah, my friend. Um, which path does he go? Say that again. Which, which path goes deeper? Which path goes deeper? One, basically, it's like you want them for different reasons. One, I think, a little, usually a little easier, a little shallower, so to speak. But the one that goes deeper. Yeah. That's good. Other answers? Sweet. Seeking counsel. He gets opinions. Asks other people what they see. Oh, they, they, too many. <laughs> too many opinions. Yeah. It just keeps going until he gets the answers he wants. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Does anybody feel like they hear God's voice pretty clearly when they just ask him? This should certainly be our first step, right? We just go and ask God what we should do. Just straight up asking. I bring this up not because it sounds really smart, but it's good to know where we should be at or where we could be at in the spiritual life. To know what isn't impossible. It is absolutely possible for us to simply Stop. Even in a situation like 
okay. Somebody offered me alcohol, and I'm driving maybe two hours from now, so I could have some alcohol. But maybe I'm abstaining for some reason or another. It's like, okay, Lord, we can stop right then. We don't have to, hey, excuse me, um, uh, I need to go to the chapel real quick. <laughs> what? just want to know if you wanted a Sprite. <laughs> no, but we can ask the Lord right there in any type of little situation, and we can ask him in larger situations. We just stop. Lord, I just got these two emails, one for this job, one for this job. Which one do you want me to do? We should be at a point in our relationship. We can get to a point in our relationship. Don't, don't let this comment be just shame, right, to be like, oh, if you're not there, you're not holy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just letting you know. We can, and God desires us to get there to the point where we simply ask him. And we are so in tune with him. We have opened up these avenues of grace so clearly. We've conformed our lives to him so well that we simply can hear his voice. That's the first step. Now, it isn't always the case that he's going to speak so clearly. So there's other steps we can go to after that. But no that we can if we can form our lives under Christ, which is why I spent so much time with that in that relationship portion. We can simply ask God, and he can tell us, not in a full holy hour and a full holy two seconds. He can do that. He's God. He already knows you're going to ask the question. He's got the slip filled out, sending it to you right back. <laughs> so that's the first thing. In addition to that, in terms of like painting this picture of where we can get, we can be in communication with God all the time. We can go throughout an entire day constantly instead of talking to ourselves like we usually do, myself certainly included. I like to listen to myself. On repeat, in fact. <laughs> we can actually have this dialogue with our Lord and talk with him and hear him throughout the entire day. Should I have an apple or a banana? Sounds fickle, but God knows my health. I need more potassium. Having that banana. Everything, every little thing, and we're in tune with him, and we live our life with him, no longer our own. There's a freedom in that, a total freedom. Obedience to God sets us free. The world wants to tell us something very different about freedom, but obedience to a good master, to God himself, sets us totally free. Well, what if I wanted an orange? What if I wanted to move out of state? If I do the will of the Lord, I am totally free. So that is a gift. That's where we can go. All right, so let's say we can't hear God. Let's say we're struggling with that. We can't hear his voice. Now what do we do? What do we do next? We heard some options. Turn to acts of popular piety. Turn to counsel. These are very good, very good options for sure. There's more things that we can do just yet. The one thing that we want to avoid is absolute indecision. We want to avoid indecision. How many of you guys know somebody whose vocation it is? Big B vocation to be a discerner for life. Anybody know somebody like that? Lifelong discerner? Not priesthood, not married life. No, just in lifelong discernment. Nobody knows anybody like that? Oh, you know somebody like that. Yourself? No. <laughs> of course. We know people. And, and this is what we want to avoid. This is where the discernment houses get filled. Discernment houses. Now, when I say discernment houses, let me define my terms here. I'm not talking about like being actually with a religious order and being in a house of discernment where you are on their track towards being, let's say, a religious sister, a religious priest, what have you. I'm talking about these houses. I don't know if you have them in your diocese, but they start to pop out all over the place recently in like the last 10, 20 years where young people can go and live in these places to discern God's will for them. What were they doing before they got there? <laughs> I'm just, I just don't understand. And I don't mean to be rude, but I just don't understand. We should be in such a relationship with God that these places should not have to exist. They just shouldn't. We should constantly be having a relationship, living a life like Christ, being attuned with the Holy Spirit, and then making a decision. So let's say you do not have an answer to your dilemma, whatever that might be. Big V vocation, where you're going to work, whatever it might be. 
I love this image. One foot on the dock, one foot on the boat. You have two options. You can stay on the dock, you can get in the boat. I can hear that Mercury motor running. You better make up your mind. If you do not, you will be wet. And that's not where the Lord wants us. He's not going to leave us high and dry nor soaking wet. He just doesn't do that. He loves us far too much. In addition, he also doesn't just let us wander off when our desire is to pursue him. For example, maybe you were called to stay on the dock, but you jumped on the boat because you had to make a decision. What do you think God's going to say? Oh, sorry, miss that one, buddy. <laughs> See you later at the gates of heaven. Hope you still make it in somehow. No. He's going to go and find you and be like, hey, I'm actually going to shut this door. I'm actually going to put something in that prop, that propeller, busted it up. That coral wasn't there yesterday. It's there now. <laughs> Boat's not going anywhere. Why don't you swim back to shore? He's going to do that for us if our will is to do his if our desire is to do his. He will let us run if we want to run. If we want to just do our own will and we're not actually pursuing his, he'll let us do that. That's the freedom he offers us. That's the goodness of the Father. And he'll just let us run. Oh, you want to pursue that dream job that I don't have in store for you that will not bring you fulfillment, freedom, and joy? I'm going to let you do it. Now he's ready to take us back at any moment. But he has absolute love for us that will let us just run away. When we are indeed in goodwill and we can't hear the voice of God, maybe we've sought some good counsel. Maybe we've sat in prayer for day after day after day, praying a novena of rosaries and chaplets of divine mercy. At some point, we have to make a decision. And so we do. We stay on the dock or we jump in the boat and we trust in the Father. If you are afraid in this moment, picturing yourself and the decision that you might have to make, thinking, I, I just don't know which one to choose. I don't know if I should stay on the dock. I don't know if I should stay on the, jump in the boat. So what do you mean just make a decision? I don't know which one to make. If you are still afraid, go back to start. When you pass go, do not collect $200. <laughs> go back to the relationship portion that we started with before. If you are afraid, then you don't know the Father. And you don't know the Father because you haven't conformed your life unto Christ. Because the Father is one to be trusted, one who loves us. He is all good. This is why I told you, he won't just let you drift out to shore if it's your will to do his. Jesus Christ knew this. That's why when we broke our relationship with him, he came down from heaven, put himself from this paradise into this place of sin and allowed us to crucify him. Because he knew the love of the Father was so good and he knew we didn't know it, that we denied it once before, that we deny it each day. But he knows it's so good and he wants us to know it. He wants us to know it so wholeheartedly that we will jump onto any boat or on, stay on any dock and not have FOMO of what's leaving us. He wants us to know the love of the Father so much that we're always seeking to do his will, that we're always conforming our life onto his so that we can hear God's will and do it. This is probably not the talk you expected on discernment because it was so much revolving around relationship around the Christian life itself. But that's because I don't want you to be hyper-focused on whatever your decision is. I don't want you to become somebody who's so fixated on the single decision in front of you that you lost sight of Jesus Christ himself. We need to be better Christians. We need to live the Christian life. If we do so, we won't get wet. We won't be in fear of making a decision we won't be filling discernment houses. We'll be knowing the love of the Father, be in perfect relationship with Jesus Christ, living a life of prayer, asceticism, and fraternity, the Christian life in such a profound way that not only does it lead others 
to Christ himself by the model and witness we give, but gives us this gift, this treasure that we possess with such freedom and with such joy that we are so willing and more so desirous to pass it on to our friends, our next generation, our children. That's how we're going to fill seminaries. That's how we're going to fill convents, cloisters. That's how we're going to have no more discernment houses. And we're going to have really great Christians. Thanks, guys. All right. Anybody want Q&A? We can just go get beer. Let's do some Q&A. Any questions? No, I guess not. <laughs> What's your name? Where are you from? William, William where are you from? Yes. <laughs> nice. Which part? Uh, near Milwaukee. Yeah, which suburb? Sussex. Sussex? Yeah. Southwest? Straight west. Straight west. That's pretty far west of Milwaukee, isn't it? Oh, that's like 30 minutes. Yeah, it's barely a suburb. <laughs> that's all right. I'm from Wisconsin also. Well, Milwaukee's just a suburb of Chicago, so. I don't like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, William, what do you got for me, brother? Are you talking about big V vocation in this case? Yeah. yeah, they can. They can end up in the wrong vocation. If they're not conforming, I'm just, and I don't mean to be rude when I say this, right? But if they're not conforming their lives to Christ, not open to hearing their will, for example, especially, say, 40, 50 years ago, there was so much pressure from families to have a priest in their household or to have a sister, a nun, in their household. And so people got pressured into it. It's one of many reasons, and I say many reasons, it's not the only reason, that we had a lot of priests leaving or sisters leaving or lack of conformity to Christ within religious orders. Because people weren't happy. They weren't receiving the fulfillment and the life and the joy that Christ had in store for them, greatest in their vocation that they were meant for. Now, again, not the only reason. There's plenty of other reasons. There's problems, right? We're humans, being one of them. So, yes. Uh, yes, you can end up in, in the wrong vocation. However, that's not going to bar you from heaven. And, of course, because of the way that grace works within vocations, especially the priesthood, you're ordained a priest. That's an indelible mark on your soul. You will always be a priest, right? So leaving that vocation, even if it, you think it's not the right vocation, probably isn't the right decision, certainly between you and your spiritual director, but probably isn't the right decision. God's going to use you anyway. He's going to bring great joy to your life anyway. Maybe not the greatest, but he can still absolutely use you in that vocation. So, yes, it's possible. So, yeah, we should, discern, we should probably discern well now. So that doesn't happen to us. But we shouldn't have a fear that it will if we're discerning well now. How's that answer, William? Sweet. What's your name? David. David, where are you from? Nice. How long you live there? You ever wish you lived in Ireland or Scotland or anything like that? All right. What's your question, really?
I heard some things that kind of trip my triggers here in some ways. So, yes, we shouldn't be anxious. Absolutely, in accord with you there. Some of what you said sound a little, sounded a little passive, and maybe it's not what you meant. So, we'll clarify. Don't let me put words in your mouth. But I'll just, I'll just speak out to maybe some of those fears and whatnot. So it sounded a little passive, just like, just kind of stay what you are, just let the bricks, the dominoes fall as they may, or whatever, right? Cards fall, whatever the phrase is, okay? <laughs> let the gas prices fall as they should, okay? <laughs> That's a little passive, in the sense of, like, we should always be actively doing the will of God, as opposed to passively letting the will of God happen to us, if that makes sense. We should be active participants in God's will. Yeah, I think there's definitely a need for, for both. And it's, it, it comes down to that relationship with God. Like having such a relationship where we know we're not in charge. In that way, it's passive. Because we are going to receive the commands the master has for us. At the same time, it's active insofar as we have to submit our will to him. And then do what he says. Does that make sense? We can change those things around, maybe, and that will help. We're going to actively choose a will and then passively, like, just hope God's on board with it. <laughs> that's, like, the opposite, right? It becomes more clear that that's not the right way. Yeah, so I hope that helps. In all that, there should be no anxiety. And the more we know God, the more we conform our lives to his, the less anxiety we'll have. Who's stoked to live asceticism? One and a half people. <laughs> Who's got some concerns? Who's got some concerns? Some cries of anguish here. Anybody have questions about the Christian life? The prayer of asceticism or fraternity portion? Yeah, girl, what you got? What's your name? Uh, Megan. Megan, where are you from? Uh, Edmund. Edmund. Is that your dad's name? <laughs> okay. Oklahoma, got it. Yes. So I go to school up in Ohio now. Which one? Notre Dame College. Big small, very small private college. <laughs> um, but it's a supposedly Catholic school. But um, I really struggle with the importance part of the Christian life because very new age way of thinking, especially like the person who's in charge of our church. And um, I don't have a car, so I don't have any clues as to when I go to parish or anything like that. I've tried making a church friend, um, but they just have such an opposite way of thinking. Like their morals are so far from mine that I have trouble actually making connections with people um, without those connections. And your question? <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, this is tough. So as mentioned, sorry, Daniel. Just trying to keep things entertaining up here. As mentioned, when the Lord asks us to do something, he'll always provide us the grace to do it. So fraternity, sorority, no different here. This might mean, though, that it's going to be hard to accomplish, right? Going back to the active and passive will. All right? So we know that we're made for a sorority, for fraternity, for community. But we don't see it in front of us. Well, then we do indeed have to continuously, actively try to find it. Knowing that even if we're not finding it, our action of trying to find it is pleasing to the Lord. As long as we're still open to hearing where he wants us to try and not. And if we're not hearing him at all, but we're still trying, because we know who God is, this is where the study portion is so important. Because we know who God is, and we know he was unity, and we know, therefore, that we're made for unity, there isn't a question about whether or not he wants that for us. If we didn't know who God was, if we didn't know him as Trinity, if we didn't know the second chapter of Genesis, 
then we'd have a great question here. And we'd be able to say, well, maybe I'm just made to be isolated. Maybe I'm just made to live this life alone. And we'd buy the lies of Satan that he'd love to have for us. And we'd go into despair. This is the importance of that study, huh? And that relationship with God. So thanks for bringing up this point. So, what do you need to do? In your particular, I cannot answer. It might be befriending the gals who aren't that great. It might be befriending gals you don't really think you're interested in hanging out with it because they're kind of lame. But maybe those are the right people. I remember when I was in college. First week of college. Well, before the classes even started, right? They get you there early. That way you can party. <laughs> or something like that. So I was there, and I wanted to party, okay? And I was going with this group of soccer players because they were there to party months beforehand. <laughs> and so I'm going to all these parties, but I'm not drinking. And I'm not drinking because I grew up going to the University of Wisconsin football games. And the University of Wisconsin is just a madhouse, right? People are drinking all over the place on every front lawn. It's great. However, at this university that I'm going to, University of St. Thomas, everybody's hiding. They're in the basements. They don't want to get caught. It's like, this is lame. I'm not going to drink if you guys are going to act like this. I want to be in the front lawn yelling. So I kept going to these parties, but it was like really unfulfilling because I literally was not drinking. And then I realized these guys on my floor who I thought were lame because they were, they were, they actually wanted to spend time with me. And these guys I was partying with didn't really want to spend time with me, especially because I wasn't drinking. They thought I was judging them or whatever. And I carried this girl home drunk one night. She was just totally trashed. And her friend, because her friend wanted to help her. So I had to carry him, too. <laughs> so I'm carrying them home, or whatever. And I just realized, this girl is never going to thank me, because she's got no idea what just happened. And she's not my real friend. And so I decided, well, I'll try to hang out with these lame guys, who the Lord has put in my life. And you know what? They're awesome. Still totally lame. But they loved each other. And they loved me. And they loved board games and whatever other weird things they loved. Okay? I didn't know what Catan was before that. Sure do now. Moral of the story. The Lord had friends in store for me. I was pursuing friends, not the right ones. You're in a different situation. You probably have a much smaller campus than I had, 5,000 undergrads. Okay? But there's somebody out there who he needs you to be with for their good. And you need to be with them for yours. Tough situation. I know. Not a great feeling. Sorry. But next year's a new year. They're going to have new fresh bodies convinced to go to that school. <laughs> and you can set them on the right track. I actually had this great conversation, short conversation last night after being on the Catholic Man Show. And one of the guys, I think it was Adam, was saying, when it comes to moving to a new city, going to college, whatever, the people you meet in that first three, four weeks will absolutely change the trajectory of your life forever. Certainly for your time with that community because they're going to introduce you to all of their friends. You have that chance. What year are you going to be when you go back? You have that chance with all the incoming freshmen and all the unlucky transfers. You get the chance to be friends with them first. Set them on the right track. How's that sound? Sweet. One more question, then we'll call it beer time. Nobody wants to ask about asceticism. William? University of St. Thomas, St. Paul, Minnesota. And I went to the seminary the second two years, my junior and senior year, St. John Vianney. I was such a bad Christian, I needed all three saints to intercede for me. <laughs> Turned out all right. Still got a lot of work to do. Yes, my friend. How would you do asceticism in the best, most uh, fruitful way possible? How would you do asceticism in the best, most fruitful way possible? I'm going to give you an image. You ready? Do you know what this is? Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. Shh. Didn't open the curtain yet. <laughs> now you know what it is? It's a shower. Some call it a shower. Some call it an altar. Let me tell you why. 
This knob right here? H for Holiday Inn Express. Step in this puppy. You know who I'm offering the shower up for? No one. <laughs> Turn that off. Shh, ding. Thankfully, this one's got two knobs, OK? For those of you who just have that one knob that's on a spectrum, good luck, OK? <laughs> this one right here. As the guys in Oregon City said, full C, baby. Full C. When it comes to living asceticism, it's very hard to get into something like this. See that water? It's like it's, there's practically ice coming out of here, okay? Who's going to step into that? Who's going to live asceticism? And when I get up in the morning, if I look at myself in the mirror and I say, hey, hairy fella, I know you're theologically like worth this act of asceticism, but I don't really think I'm going to give that to you today. I don't motivate myself to get into this shower. It's not motivating enough. I have to be thinking of others. Lucia. Annie, Sherry, the baby that hasn't come yet. I have to be thinking of others. This is asceticism. This is how Christ lived his life. This is the Christian life. Laying ourselves down for others. Yeah, two minutes of discomfort, 35 seconds of discomfort, not worth it for myself mentally. However, could I be uncomfortable for a minute, for two minutes, for the salvation of the souls of these beautiful girls? Absolutely. This is how you live asceticism. You stop comparing the act that the Lord is asking you to do to the amount of comfort you're about to lose. That's selfish. That's not Christian. You compare that act that the Lord is asking you to do to the salvation, to the grace that he has in store for the ones that you are doing it for. And so it looks like this. Full C. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I love you so much. I desire the salvation of the souls of Sherry, my wife, my daughter Annie, my daughter Lucia, and the next child on the way. Satan wants their demise, wants them to be absolutely destroyed and be led astray, but I want them to be with you on earth and in heaven for eternity. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Jump in. <laughs> Boom. Done. That's it. That's asceticism. That's how you live it. And guess what? you got to spend less money because you didn't have to heat the water and a whole lot less time because you ain't spending much in there. Can I get an amen? amen. This is asceticism. This is the joy and the gift of living the Christian life. And this will help you discern the will of God. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, be present. Be with us on our mind and our lips and our hearts. Help us to desire to know you, Jesus Christ. Help us to desire to be in unity with you. Help us to know the Father. You desired for us to know the Father so much that you came down onto this earth, into sin, into the muck and the mire of this world. Because you wanted us to know his love and his will for us that is complete unity with you in the body of Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be baptized into your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to know, love, and serve him to live a life, the Christian life, of prayer, asceticism, and fraternity so fully that we know your will, that we're prompted, that we're ready to do your will at every moment of every day. And Mary, we ask your intercession. Wherever we go astray, wherever we get lost, wherever we feel like we have been abandoned, pick us up, press us to your breast, and lead us straight to Christ in his most sacred heart. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Mother of God, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, guys.